Welcome to The Aesthetic City Podcast. In this show, we aim to discover how to go forward and create a more livable, beautiful, and healthy built environment. I'm Ruben Hansen, your host and founder of The Aesthetic City. Today's guest is a placemaking consultant, writer, photographer, and community event planner, specializing in urban design and city planning. Over the last 10 years, she has worked for various nonprofits and startups, such as Habitat for Humanity and the Urban Land Institute. In 2020, she founded her business Buildfully to showcase beautifully built environments that create better places for all through consultations, community and content. She has a Master of Science degree in Urban Design and City Planning from the Bartlett School of Planning at the University College London. So without further ado, please welcome from the greater Boston area, Catherine O'Neill. Welcome Catherine, great to have you. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. So we, we know each other for a couple of months now, and for the listeners, perhaps, could you tell a bit about your background? Yes, thank you so much. Um, it's been great getting to know you for our uh, Minds of Beauty Mastermind group, and it's an honor to be on your podcast. I am initially from Minneapolis, Minnesota in the U.S., um, and now I live in a seaside town in the greater Boston area. I have lived in a few other cities across the world, Sydney, Stockholm, and London. Um, For my education background, it's in design. I have an undergraduate degree from the University of Minnesota in Housing Studies, Community Development and Policy. And during that time, I did an internship um, in the New South Wales government in the planning department in Sydney, Australia, which was a really great experience and got me more interested in city planning. And then I went on to get my master's degree from the University College London Bartlett School of Planning, um, which focused on urban design and city planning. My dissertation was focused on meanwhile use or tactical urbanism uh, that we say here in the US. Uh, It was on pop-up housing focused on the homeless. And for my uh, professional background, uh, the last 10 years or so, I've worked for a variety of nonprofits and startups. Um, so I've done some advocacy and community work with Habitat for Humanity to raise awareness for affordable housing. I worked at Urban Land Institute, uh, put on educational programs on planning and sustainability and transportation. Uh, and then I did a placemaking startup company. I worked with um, the Musicant Group, where mm-hmm. I did projects for them like uh, community events, engagements, we design public spaces and project management, things like that. Um, And then I guess finally, like volunteering is really important for me. So I've always been involved in some sort of border committee. Um, And so right now I'm on the Beverly Main Street's uh, design committee and I do co-lead community events and beautification on our, our town Main Street. So that's been really great. And this has all kind of led me to the experience and education to start my own business built fully, which I'll talk about later. Yeah, great. So I hear a lot of things. So tactical urbanism and a variety of studies, uh, also focusing a lot on affordable housing. And what are your your views on that? Have they like shifted during the years? Uh, now you've seen more and like how has your view on, yeah, on all these matters which you have read through your studies. How have these changed over the years? 
Yeah, I think that there's one thing to study it, but there's another thing to go out and see it and do it. Um, so I definitely think that experience is invaluable. I think it really is a really great teacher. Um, so for me, being out actually building homes physically with Habitat for Humanity and seeing the impact and how hu- hum- humans can come together and, and build together, even if they hadn't had any experience before, was really inspiring or seeing placemaking projects where we're putting uh, pop-up, um, pop-ups in a public space and seeing all different walks of life coming together um, and really seeing how space actually can bring people together, not just reading about yeah. it. Um, those are things that I think you can't experience until you're out in the field. Yeah. So you see spaces that... Yeah, so spaces to bring people together. What would you define with a space that, according to you, is best capable to bring people together? Yeah, I definitely think it's through community events and programming and reasons for people to be there. And then also physical elements and design elements. So seating, you know, making it attractive with green space and having different um ways that people can utilize that space. So I want to sit, I want to read a book, I want to play this long game, I want to see this music happening, there's a market going on. So having different uses and attraction and then also retaining people to that space, I think are are good ways to to create that um, vibrant space. Yeah, yeah. And so when did your interest in the city and architecture start? How did it get started? Where did you get your yeah, your drive from? It actually started when I was very young. I used to tour historic places with my grandma. And I mm-hmm. really love the architecture of the places and the stories of the people who live there. I still vividly remember seeing Frank Lloyd Wright's home in Chicago when I was a child. Um, and so for as long as I can re- remember, I wanted to be an interior designer, something like that. It was really in my fabric. And so just w- how much environments affected me and a beautiful space would really light up the room and, and myself also. And so I really wanted to study and figure out ways to create a sense of place and bring that yeah. joy to communities. Um, cause I really think architecture does affect our emotions, um, And so I I actually started out an interior design program, um, but I didn't like drafting all the time. I wanted to be out more in the community, in public space. Um, A lot of school programs are very technical. And so I I decided to focus more on a bigger scale and wanting to go back uh, to school for Mm -hmm. city planning. And so then that's how I got really interested in the city planning process and how development and design works in the built environment. and moving to London, then for my master's, I got yeah. to study in one of the greatest cities in the world. And there's just so much history and architecture there. Um, so one of my favorite things is just wandering around around cities and, and seeing all the buildings and admiring the architecture and learning about the place. And um, it's definitely one of my favorite pastimes. And I think travel yeah. and, and going to places like Paris have really... Um, enforce just the importance of beauty and making places better for people. And, and that's just been a big passion of mine. Yeah. So you yourself say the importance of beauty, which I, of course, one of the themes of this podcast, but during your studies, have you heard the term beauty being used often or has it not been really 
touched upon in your study or were like the students aware of it but like during colleges or in books uh, where did you did you encounter it during your studies yeah, so I actually wrote my university essay test was on is beauty important um, at the Bartlett School oh, Plan. Nice. So it was one yeah. of two essays actually, and so it was a it was a big question and a big deal to have that. It was the only essay test we had in the master's program. Um, so mm-hmm. I I felt like that kind of started a lot of. Um, really thinking about beauty in that way. And, and there's always that, oh, it's, you know, can be controversial or it's subjective or these things that we had to in the essay go through and say the reasonings why people might challenge it. But at the end of the day, in, in Europe, at least, beauty used to be in a lot of city planning documents and frameworks. Um, yeah. And so I think it's something that it really impacted me and it made me think about the pros and cons. But at the end of the day, I just don't think it's controversial. I think it just is something that can make us aware of our surroundings and take us out of ourselves and appreciate the moment. Um, So I think when it's deeper than just this, the aesthetic of it, that it, that it um, really shows the importance of beauty. But but did they, I didn't really here so so that was really great that you made it the topic of your essay but did anyone before that talk about it for example in london was it the topic that was discussed or was it not really on the map so to speak yeah it was actually talked about it was talked about in our courses and i actually didn't choose that essay question it was my professors that chose the oh, question nice. and then i wrote on it yeah. yeah so it definitely was something that summer. yeah yeah exactly um and then I, th- I think more than ever since um, graduating, which was I graduated during the pandemic, uh, that people are craving that more than ever. So I, I'm hoping that yeah. even more people are talking about it. Yeah, because when I was studying planning, like, of course, uh, people were aware what kind of neighborhoods they themselves liked as the students. But it was in our courses, they never really talked about beauty unless it was in the sense of past planning doctrines like the city beautiful movement so Mm -hmm. i believe in like the early 20th century when beauty was actually seen as something that could uplift uh, populations but it was never talked about as something important in modern planning practices and i think your view that the covid crisis might have changed this is very interesting i i totally agree i was thinking about the city beautiful movement lately and the garden city and arts and crafts movements of the his of historical times and with Olmsted and Morris and have been reading on that and I I was like wow this is so poignant for right now that this is a movement that is very should be in the present time too yeah I can imagine people some time ago found it kind of old-fashioned this idea that we're going to uplift this population and also their the way how they live by giving them something beautiful and kind of in a, a way looking down on the general population. But nowadays, I think it's changing towards we're going to try to make our cities healthier and we're going to boost well-being and beauty is just a part of that so it becomes more democratic instead of aristocratic exactly. you know what i mean yeah but so nowadays you have started your own venture builtfully so please tell me about yeah how you get started and what your goal with it is 
Thank you. Yeah, it's exciting. So I started it uh, a couple of years ago and I've been building up ever since. Um, so it started with, I've been to over 30 countries around the world. And when I was traveling, I was always collecting photographs and stories and travel tips and and learning about these places. And so I was like, one day I'm going to take all this knowledge and, and put it somewhere. And so I really have found that pursuing this beauty in the world has helped me find a place at home too. It's really mm -hmm. made me feel more connected and more mindful of our surroundings. And and then really the the moment that really brought it together was moving to London and the beauty of that city really impacted yeah. me. It really inspired me. Uh, I just remember sitting in like an English garden and staring at Georgian architecture and going through a lot mm -hmm. in my life at the time. And it really, it really healed me. And I moved back to the U S and yeah. some of our cities are, have beauty and some have parts of that, but it didn't have as much of the, the aesthetic as like a European city. And I really just found that it was so profound. And I was like, all right, I want to continue to bring that back here and educate others um, by starting my business. And I had done contract work before, but I really wanted to focus more on, on producing content that I had gathered from all of my um, experience and travels. And, and like we had talked about doing research and studying the past movements of of history and seeing the importance that like William Morris put on crafted items or Olmsted on green space in the US with like Central Park and 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 thinking okay we need to continue these movements and continue to uh ref yeah. to bring beauty back even more to places because it does uplift us and it does help us see our purpose in the world. And there is a field now called environmental psychology that I know we've talked about that really shows that our in environment impacts us even down to the colors mm -hmm. we look at. And so um, I just think that it beautifying cities really have a lot of benefits and will help them be built to last, which is sustainable and focusing on natural yep. beauty, which is really important during climate change and making places, you know, safer and more sanitary, more sanitary and more green space. Um, so I just, I don't think it should be controversial. I think it should be creating places where everyone can belong. Um, and I think we need that more than ever. Yeah. Well, amen. <laughs> yeah. So what are like the concrete goals of Buildfinity? What do you want to achieve with it? What is your outlook for the coming years to do with it? Yeah, thank you. So Buildfully is a word I came up with. It's actually trademarked mm -hmm. now, which is exciting. And it's a holistic approach to showcasing beautifully built environments that connect people to places that they live, work and play. And then I do that through consultations, community and content. So my passion project includes like sharing ideas and resources, creating art. I'm a published poet and do photography, sharing knowledge on these topics like placemaking and beauty and urban design and travel. So I do that through like a blog. I have a photography shop. I put on community events in my town. I also do beautification, urban planning initiatives here, and then I'm currently writing a book, so a variety of ways and letting things just evolve and grow through that. And then starting the 
Minds of Beauty with You mastermind group has been really great too during this time to share resources together and get to know people from all over the world. Yeah. 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 So yeah, that's very great to hear. Also your book, can you already divulge something it's going to be about to the public or? Yeah, I can secret. tell you a little bit. <laughs> I won't divulge <laughs> too much so people can read it later. But yeah, I'm writing a memoir about my year living and studying in London. It was just a year of thing, many things happened. And like I said, the impact of beauty it had on me. So it's going to be including my poetry and photography and then vignettes themed around place. So it's going to incorporate my art within the memoir and really just take you on a journey uh, to show you the power of place and, and finding home within yourself, no matter where you are. Cool. Yeah. I hope it will arrive in store soon. Are you going to self-publish or you, you have a publisher? Thank you. I am doing a book proposal currently. The goal is to find a publisher. Yeah. I've, I've already okay. been reaching cool. out a yeah. bit, but yeah, that's the goal. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Because I think it's very important. There's more books about these topics. I certainly hope that more books are published that enlarge the target audience that are interested in these matters. Because I feel like a lot of people take the whole process of city making for granted and they see all these highways getting built. But now with also the YouTube channels, like not just bikes and City Beautiful and others, I can also imagine that there's more criticism of just the status quo. And I think that's incredibly important so i also hope to do my fair share to that of course um yeah but so um yeah we already touched a bit on the subject of beauty in our built environment so what ways do you think we can actively make our cities more beautiful places like what role uh, is most important so architecture urban form design of the public spaces what's your view on that yeah i, I agree i think all of those ways are helpful to make cities more beautiful, definitely architecture. So continuing to study architecture, but in a, a sense that's more for people and mm -hmm. asking the communities what they actually want and form and function working together and getting back to more handcrafted and smaller developments so we can focus more on the quality and that they're built to last. I also think just continuing to preserve green space and, and finding yeah. ways to green buildings in every which way that you can. So if that's greening actual like vertical gardens on buildings or rooftops or pocket parks in cities, making sure that people really understand the importance of like the nature in my, in, around them too, because sometimes in mm -hmm. cities, people don't have access to nature as easily. So I'm, I really think like urban farms and um, learning yeah. even where we grow our food is so important. And, and that connects to beauty. Like I started gardening in the pandemic and mm -hmm. using the herbs I grew to cook my own food. And it seemed so basic, but it was the meal was way more beautiful after. Um, so I think just getting back to some of those basics that that we throughout civilization have had, but kind of have lost, like where do buildings come from? Where do gardens, like how do we garden? How how can we um, make a public space that people actually use? And, and I think giving people more credit, like they're a lot more creative than we do. Like I just did a New Year's Eve event um, with my design committee and we had people doing arts and crafts and every age, every type of person 
was so creative and and I've seen this time and time again at my events and so even if you're not someone that studied this like I do believe that mm-hmm. people are um, can do a lot more DIY and and make their own spaces and their own homes and their own environments beautiful too yeah so moving closer to the source and uh, also making it a bit more decentralized if I understand you correctly so make sure that people know where their food comes from uh, and give also but not only food but also know where buildings come from what what it involves to build them and also to kind of outsource it back to the people to make their own space is that correct yeah I think so and I think that one thing I learned really in my master's with the, was the context of place. And I think that makes it mm-hmm. so much more interesting and exciting to visit when places have the culture and have the unique materials from that area and have like when you're at a beach town or a mountain town or something like that, and you know, you're there, um, it makes it a lot more beautiful to me. Yeah. Also, use of local materials is something I I hope is going to be a trend that's going to return if certain natural resources become more scarce and we stop using concrete so much. I really hope that we start to use more things like natural stone, for instance, uh, perhaps bamboo, other materials. Um, But not so hopeful yet to see that because I feel we're still in the phase where we pretend to be sustainable building concrete towers with trees on the balconies. Um, (laughs) do you also have ideas on urban form and what kinds of streets are optimal for human connection or is that less of your uh, interest yeah no definitely um i think you know streets are public space and it's very important they're like the what connects people now and it used to be rivers and it is to some degree still but now streets are really what connect us and so it should be for the people and it should be for pedestrians and doing multimodal. So having cycleways and, and having parklets on the streets and places for people to sit and, and parks connected to, and, and a mixture of mixed use with housing and, and working. So everyone can get out and build the community and get to know each other and, and really be outside. And I think, mm-hmm moving to a seaside town for me after being in a bigger city, I've been able to get to know my community because of that. Cause there is a historic main street and mm-hmm. it has all of those elements and I run into my neighbors and it's been so much more easy to connect with people. And it's been amazing just yeah. to see that the way this place is designed has, has made that happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you also traveled a lot through Europe and uh, I really wonder what your biggest takeaways are from that time well i love europe um i've been to 15 countries so far hope to add on to my list later this year um mm-hmm. it's i it's one of the best places to wander i love walking and discovering little alleyways the piazzas mm-hmm. the pocket parks um seeing the palimpsest the the layers of history uh going to the old towns and walking the small medieval streets it's so incredible all my senses get going. Um, yeah. Just seeing people out enjoying the cities in Europe, like because spaces are smaller, I've noticed that the city then is like your living room or your playroom. Like people get out and yeah. they sit and relax and they eat and so many different uses and activities. Um, like you just want to be there and 
encourages you to get out and and be around others, which I I find so inspiring and and just to see how Europeans on the whole I I feel like appreciate that culture and have a better balance of work and life and that you should get out and just enjoy your environment. And I I really love taking the train and just seeing the world go by between the different countries. There's just so many different cultures and, and I I feel like it's very, I feel really free there. Like I can just grab a beer, sit in a park, hop on a train. Um, I think about like in Copenhagen when I was there and People are just sitting out with their cans at Niehaven Harbor with like the colorful homes mm-hmm. and boats behind yeah. them and just taking in the moment. And And I I feel like it really is a lovely place to visit and also live and capture. I love taking photography there. So yeah. hopefully continue to bring back some of the, the things that I've experienced there. Yeah. And so you grew up in a quite different type of area like in minnesota i can imagine it's very car dominated um so what are your memories of that place and how you dealt with it as a kid or were you driven around a lot or how does it go there like what what is the the status quo in those kinds of areas yeah i grew up in a suburb of minneapolis and it was definitely very car orientated and we did drive a lot i drove a lot when i was young which I was too young to drive, so I don't recommend it for safety reasons. And yeah, we we rode our bikes a lot, but it was just in our neighborhood because everything was disconnected um, outside of that. And so it was very much like you were confined unless you had a car. And and I think for people that are low income or didn't have that availability, it could be really... um, disconnecting for them and so it was something that at a young age I really realized oh gosh I I would like to be able to get out more and then when I went to Europe and saw that there's communities that are built different it really impacted me and now they're building a light rail in my old suburb and Mm. revitalizing the historic main street so slowly things are happening Mm. that sounds that sounds very positive so also do you know there's a lot if there's a lot of initiatives to connect these yeah burp claves better you could say like these pods of of suburbs with because i can imagine if you make connections between them which often don't exist yet uh, and add some bicycle cycling infrastructure you could actually make it a little bit more accessible even though they're so huge it might still take ages to get through (laughs) yeah exactly yeah minneapolis is actually one of the uh top rated places for bikeways so there is a lot more rails happening and and light rail it's been challenging with like budget and getting people on board so i think a lot of times it's like you have to actually get to the point of building it and then showing it works um which can take yeah take time yeah especially a tramway um that's i mean of course if you're going to build it through a suburb it's like the last mile challenge. How do you get people to and from the, the stations? And then, uh, yeah, to make sure that um, that these lines are actually cost-effective to run. Uh, but I also see a lot of transit-oriented development happening. Um, and that is, of course, a big opportunity that comes after you build these red lines. I don't know the, the Minneapolis situation specifically, but I I have read some things on Twitter about 
how these initiatives are starting to happen. And that's kind of, I mean, maybe not surprising, but it's it makes me hopeful. Only I hope that they really can make actually nice environments around these train stations and not just building towers there because that's the whole missing middle discussion. Then because of neighborhood pressure, they can't build normal yeah middle like six plexes for example and the, the opportunities where they can build they built huge towers so you have low suburbs and then suddenly a tower in between which is insane not the best way i would think so these perverse rules and perverse systems make it actually very difficult to effectively develop good neighborhoods with pleasant gentle density as great streets would bring it but yeah so uh, what are some of the biggest challenges to the city in America you would like to help solve? Yeah, on that note, I agree. There is more transit-oriented development, or TOD as we call it, happening here. But a lot of, mm-hmm. in the area I live in too, the, a lot of the developments that are going up, the new builds, um, some of them are human scale. So they're around that five, six stories, but they all kind of look the same. And yeah. so I think having... Um, especially in the suburbs here, not having everything look the same, making it more exciting places to visit and live and not having just chains. And so really investing in malls um, that are like have a fuller experience for live, work and play, and then trying to make those places for like shopping and dining um, more of a an experience like a main street. And then if towns do have a historic main street, really revitalizing those and bringing those back, which is happening in the U S and I think people are starting to realize that it is important to walk and bike and move more for their health. And so Mm -hmm. I I really hope that the, the car oriented developments are a thing of a past, like that, that is a better way of connecting these places and, I think just having that car companies came in and really significantly impacted the planning of our cities and suburbs. They weren't built before the car, like a lot of European places that it's harder to find. Um, Where I am in New England, luckily, like our towns are from the 1600s. And so we have more of that um, because it was before the car. Um, So I I also think like I, I see developers building these mass suburban developments with uh, cul-de-sacs and all the homes look the same Mm -hmm. and not really having context for the area and the environment with bringing in all that infrastructure. And so really needing in the U S to respect our nature here. Like it's, we have such vast differences between the mountains and the beaches and the desert landscapes and, and using that as something that's really unique and something that we should be preserving. Um, And I think when we go through and tear down a lot of nature or historic places for these skyscrapers, we're thinking more about how things look from a car and not um, by foot. And so I I hope people start viewing places differently here in that context. Um, And we do just have so much land. And so my European friends, when they come over here, they're always, oh, your homes are huge and your cars. And, and I think we, because we have so much land, you know, thinking about density differently and, and how, how do we still preserve plenty of, you know, nature, but then also continue to create 
more affordable housing and and things like that. Yeah, that's indeed a point about the United States. I also think about just this amazing, <laughs> uh, huge amount of space you have also makes it perhaps in some ways harder to effectively preserve it, I could imagine, because, I mean, if there's so much, like, why would you not just build these enormous suburbs if you can? Why don't you just do it? But what I find very interesting and also, well, scary to think about is Strong Towns talks about is the fact that these suburbs in a lot of cases are not financially solvent. Like they are <laughs> ticking time bombs financially because the tax base is not enough to support the maintenance on the roads, on the sewage, on electricity. So it's an unavoidable fact that these neighborhoods are at some point going to break down once they can't pay for it anymore to maintain it. And I also worry about, because it's such a huge problem, as there are so many suburbs that have this, that on a greater level in the United States, what will happen to the country as a whole if they need to borrow so much money to keep this maintenance going? Yeah, at some point, the money needs to come from somewhere. Uh, yeah, I agree. And Strong Towns is actually from Minnesota. So I've heard them speak before oh, in one of my programs. But yeah. I think a lot of that is based in, we have farmland that now are, um, these large developments. And so looking at different ways of how to keep these places sustainable. And a lot of times they're not built to last, like the developer gets in and within 10 years, you know, things start to happen. And then, like you said, the maintenance costs. And so I think that that's yeah. going to be a, a real concern in the future of how to make these places more sustainable. Yeah. How can placemaking make a difference for cities and perhaps it's more for inner city areas where this is applicable but what what do you think is the the strongest point of placemaking yeah so since placemaking is a community-led design approach to planning um, the people are at the front and center so like if it's either a small or large uh, scale project like a plaza or street or town each place needs to connect within the larger community and context and so it's a way to do that so a lot of times it's using like activities and uses and how people socialize, physical elements, design in a place. Um, a lot of times it's a pop-up market or an art installation or a parklet. And it's like, a as I really like uh, Project for Public Spaces organization outside of uh, mm -hmm. New York City. And they talk a lot of times how it's usually a light, quick and cheap way uh, to create more attractive and vibrant places. And so because yeah. it really transforms the space in so many ways, I think it's just such a great outreach tool because it can really engage people with the place and then like what they want to do there. And when you start by asking that question, it's something that a lot of times people don't think about and then they can start to characterize the, the place and then you can find ways to attract and retain people there, which is obviously good for economic and community development um, and developing the stories to that place. So then that placemaking helps tell those stories and, and then yeah. people, it creates an identity with them. Um, and I think too, like the placemaking projects I've done in the past showing what, oh, what is that? And then doing it is easier than to implement more in the future once they've seen it successful. So if you do like a parklet and you show one parklet, then yeah. 
it's like, oh, that worked. Let's do more. And I think that happened a lot during the pandemic where you see these pop-up patios all over. And I used to have to get city planning permits when I did my parklet. And now it's a lot more like, oh, we're going to keep these next year. Um, And it's something that people in the community get attached to and then they want to create more of them. And I, I think... Now people are starting to yeah. see the value of using streets for people and and placemaking as that tool um, to educate and influence policy, um, but making sure mm-hmm. I think in the end to always make sure it's good universal design and the maintenance and operations upkeep and and then that you have the community support and with that I think it can be successful. Yeah. Yeah, I think there's some interesting things you said there. So uh, first of all, to attract and retain people. I think there's a lot of planners now that in some cases, they don't seem to know or use the right tools to to do so. And I think, well, their beauty comes in handy again, because then you see these very fancy sketches that look very futuristic, for example. But you don't see a lot of elements that actually, that make you say, wow. <laughs> that's really great especially the more futuristic inner city programs where they introduce a lot of green and or, or and build these glass cubes for example it looks cool and renders and then of course in all the brochures in all the marketing materials they say how amazingly innovative this place is going to be but then if you see how it ends up and then when it's realized and the renders were far more beautiful than the end result and in reality it's just a kind of a windy, empty place with some trees. And yeah, it looks new, but it doesn't look really something you can actually identify with. That's where I see a lot of, yeah, these plants going wrong. But that's why I think your point of identity is very important, that really a place gets this strong identity. And I think for identity, you need more than only glass and concrete and something that looks very modern because identity kind of says that it's unique in some way, that it has something unique to that place. And that is very hard to do with a very generic architectural style or with very generic uh, design of public spaces. So I think that's, uh, and and also that's why the story behind the place is indeed also very important, like you said. Uh, And then another thing I I thought was strong, what you said is about successful concepts to repeat these. And that's just a very, it's so broadly applicable uh just if you know that something works don't be afraid to copy it because that's what we do nowadays we we value originality so much but you completely forget that sometimes it's best to just not be original and just to do stuff that works (laughs) so um yeah some great stuff there um do you have any other uh thoughts on the city or things you would like to share or nice ideas you had yeah, I I agree with what you said. I, I remember in school and then working on projects, seeing renderings and then going to them afterwards to the actual place and it didn't really look like the rendering. So I think a lot of times it's just about the flashy, oh, this looks cool, but really does it work? Is it something that people are going to enjoy? And And, and having places where they do look unique to the character of the area like when I'm starting to travel now and all yeah. these financial districts look the same across the world, it's, well, this looks like America or this looks 
I'm in London, there's a place called Canary Wharf. And I remember getting off the mm. train and it was like, oh my gosh, am I in Chicago right now? No, I'm in London. And and <laughs> I, I didn't go to London to be in Chicago. And so I think really making sure that we preserve character of places and history of places and like it's okay to move with the times and and use technology but to make sure that we're using it I think in a responsible way and I think things are just moving so fast and so taking that time like we said with beauty to really reflect take a moment slow down is actually going to be really important and and make us think about these things and make us realize like what does create mm-hmm. A healthy place. And I think a lot of it really goes down to implementing new urbanism in our cities, um, which maybe is shouldn't be called new because it's a lot of the old concepts, but just making it yeah. eco-friendly um, urban design, like walkable neighborhoods with various jobs and housing and accessible public spaces, and then having that human scale as we talked about. And so kind of going back to the the village concept of being able yeah. to have a place where people can easily get around and and get to know each other yeah yeah it's really funny which is yeah new urbanism it's not a lot of new things about it right <laughs> it's, it's yeah it's, it's just, yeah it's just repackaging it in a in a new name but yeah um i mean of course nowadays you have cars you have some new things so i guess it's fair to say they are repackaging traditional urbanist ideas to fit within a new reality but yeah i fully agree with all your points and uh yeah i think this also might be a nice place to uh end this interview thank you so much for being on and i hope your book comes out soon so we can all read it and i also will also urge everyone to go to your website and check it out. Wonderful. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, thanks so much for being on and see you next time. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Aesthetic City podcast. You can find more information on Buildfully on its website and Instagram. Find the links in the description below. If you like our content and want to support what we do, you can support us in various ways. The easiest way is to give this podcast a favorable review and to share it with your colleagues and friends. You can also support us by following us on our Twitter, subscribing to our YouTube channel or our Substack newsletter. But the best way of supporting our work is becoming a patron, which comes with many additional benefits. Visit the Patreon link in the description below to learn more. For more information about The Aesthetic City, visit theaestheticcity.com. And don't forget to subscribe to this podcast. Thank you. Until next time.